coming up. D-backs snapped their six-game losing streak against the Chicago Cubs. And five things we need to keep our eye on for the D-backs entering this weekend series coming up for you next. You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked on Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. If you guys watch the YouTube channel, Locked on Dimebacks, because we are on YouTube. I'm always wearing this Coyote shirt, so guys, go represent the Coyotes. Go get your own gear. I know this is a D-backs podcast, but don't forget to support the other teams in the Valley. The Coyotes could sure use it, especially during their move to Tempe. So that's enough promotion for my daytime job. Let's get back to my nighttime job, because I want to talk about five storylines, trends, narratives I'm watching for this D-backs team as they enter this weekend series against the Chicago Cubs, because, of course... They already played their first game against the Chicago Cubs. What's today? Thursday, Thursday. It's Friday at the time of you listening, but they won their first game Thursday, which snapped a six-game skid for the D-backs. And for for all the semantic people out there, I know I've been saying the D-backs have lost six of their last seven games. Well, that's because I counted all the games in their last two series, basically. I know they've lost six straight games, but my point still stands. They've also lost six of their last seven games, so both points are true. It just semantically probably sounds better to say the D-backs have lost six straight games. So what happened in Thursday's game for the D-backs? Because you had Zach Gallon on the mound. Of course, you had players like Alec Thomas, Dalton Varshow, Ketel Marte, the usual suspects in the lineup. But the biggest issue we know for the D-backs this season has been the bullpen. And surprise, surprise, the D-backs bullpen on Thursday was probably the story of the game because they were able to keep it together because Zach Gallon did not have the typical Zach Gallon start that we or normally accustomed to, like Zach Allen has been phenomenal this season. His command has been great. His fastball velocity has been great. He was the league leader in ERA entering this game against the Chicago Cubs and leaving the game. I mean, his ERA was still 1.14 because if you look at his traditional stat line, five innings, one earned run, two hits, you're like, oh, Zach Allen had another fantastic start. But I wouldn't classify this as a great Zach Allen start. I thought Zach Allen was a little wary in this game I thought his command was a little all over the place because he threw 88 pitches in just five innings and that probably shouldn't have been the case because it felt like Zach Gallon was at like 52 pitches through four innings and it all just kind of unraveled for Gallon in the fifth inning because he uh got the bases loaded he walked a guy and not walked the guy he hit a guy in that inning and his command was just all over the place in that fifth inning and the Chicago Cubs were able to take advantage now thankfully the Cubs were not able to take advantage to the tune of scoring runs. They scored one run off a double in the fourth inning, which probably showed the signs of the uh, probably showed the cracks 
that the uh, start might be falling apart for Zach Allen because I think the wheels just fell off in that fifth inning. I mean, like I said, he was cruising those first four innings, did give up the run in the fourth inning, but in terms of efficiency, he was working very quickly through those first four innings, and then I think he throws like 40 pitches in that fifth inning. Like, it's not the Zach Allen we're accustomed to, so... That's it for Zach Allen. That was the end of his day. One earned run over five innings. And you're like, this is only a three to one ball game because the D-backs were able to get three runs in the fourth inning. They took another early lead like they've been doing in a lot of their games recently. Dalton Varsho crushed a home run to dead center. Like, I mean, crushed the ball to dead center. 439 feet. He also had back-to-back singles by uh, David Peralta and Josh Rojas, RBI singles after that Dalton Varsha home run, because I tweeted after that Dalton Varsha home run, hey, D-backs, we're going to need more run support for Gallon than just the one run, but little did I know, the D-backs didn't need more run support for Gallon than the three runs that they were eventually able to amass, because Gallon, after he came out, of course, he looked shaky when he came out the game. And you're like, oh, my God, if Zach Gallon is looking shaky through five innings, there's no chance the D-backs win this game. Despite only having a, a two-run lead, they're, because that's not a very big lead, you're like, there's no way the D-backs are able to hold on to a two-run lead with this bullpen. No Kyle Nelson. Joe Mantiply is the only guy we're able to trust in that bullpen. And the D-backs were somehow able to pull it out because they brought out their, what, four, arguably their four most trustworthy relievers. Sean Poppin came out first. He got the hold. Mantiply came out second. He got a hold. Easily the best reliever on this D-back staff this season. Kyle Nelson right behind him in second. Then Ian Kendi came in after Mantiply. He got a hold as well. And then Mark Melanson cleaned it up with a ninth inning save. And Mark Melanson, a stress-free ninth inning. I posed this question on Lockdown Dimebacks Twitter. What's more satisfying than a stress-free Ninth inning by Mark Melanson, I posed the question, or excuse me, I posed the answer maybe doing laundry on the same day, like putting away your laundry on the same day as you're washing it because I have a big habit of washing my clothes and then just leaving them on my floor for a week. So I don't think even, I think even putting my clothes away on the same day as me washing them is not even as satisfying as a stress-free Mark Melanson because that was a 16-pitch ninth inning by Melanson. Nine of them strikes. I was very happy to see him have a just a clean ninth like I said, stress-free ninth because that's not something we get a lot out of Mark, Mel- out of Mark Melanson. Now the eighth did come with some trepidation and got a little dicey there with Ian Kendi on the mound, but he was able to get two big strikeouts to get out the inning. And this was a, a pretty impressive game by the D-backs all in all because I didn't think the D-backs were going to win a game by their bullpen. This is one of the only games this year where like, man, the bullpen was the MVP of that game because offensively, it's not like the D-backs did a ton at the plate. Like it was another game where the D-backs had double digit strikeouts, 11 Ks. Paven Smith was 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. The D-backs only had one walk on the night. Think about that. 11 strikeouts to just one roll, to just one walk. Not good at all. Six hits overall. D-backs two for six with runners in scoring position, will, which will probably raise their runners in scoring position average because two for six is a 333 average, and I'm sure the D-backs have like a 185 average with runners in scoring position. So going two for six should probably raise their average on the night. But I thought the bullpen was great tonight, and the D-backs were putting Cubs on the bases, but they did a great job of not allowing those big hits to the Cubs Uh, A few times, it looked like they were going to get the big hits, but the D-backs pitching was able to shut it out. Now, I thought the second base umpire was pretty weird in this game because he calls the guy out in that one inning. I'm trying to think. It was Frank Schwindel 
in the one inning from, uh, I, was it Frank Schwindel? I don't even know who he was running, but Dalton Varsho, it looks like he throws him out by a mile. Like, I think Varsho has this guy by a mile, and he gets called safe. They review it, and the call stands, but I'm like, I, I don't understand how it's called safe because I'm looking at that review. Go watch the replay again. Tell me that Dalton Varsho didn't gun down that Chicago Cubs player when he was running the second. I thought he had him by a country mile, but somehow he kind of did the Josh Rojas where... As the tag came through, his arm went up and it just missed him. Maybe I thought they got him before he was able to tag the base because Josh Rojas was definitely safe in the inning before because his arm definitely went up and the tag definitely went under his arm and missed Josh Rojas. And Rojas definitely got to second base before the glove hit his body. I don't know if that was true for the Cubs player. I feel like Perdomo definitely tagged that guy before the guy got his hand in on the base. So I have to go back and watch that replay a few more times. But overall... D-backs win. They snapped the six-game losing streak, and the bullpen was the MVP of the game. I would never think, I, I would have never thought I would have said that over the last couple of weeks, but here I am. So thanks to the, so thank you. Let me get this right. Thank you to the bullpen for being a big boost Thursday night. And you know what else is a big boost? You know I gotta do it. Built Bar, because Built Bar has been a big boost to my life. I'm a health-conscious guy. I try to eat healthy, and the biggest issue for me is I have a sweet tooth. I love to eat junk food candy, sweets, and the thing is, Built Bar tricks me. I think that I'm eating a candy bar when in reality, I'm actually eating a protein bar. That's low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so it's great for that keto diet, and right now, they have these things called puffs. One of the flavors is a brownie batter puff, and the reason I love it is because not only does it taste like brownie, but it's infused with marshmallow, protein, absolutely delicious. If you want your own Built Bar, just go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back to the podcast and let's discuss five things I'm keeping my eye on as the D-backs play the Chicago Cubs this weekend. Number one. Alec Thomas, can he please move up in the lineup, Tori Lovello, please? I'm begging you, Tori, because, excuse me, Thomas has actually struggled in the eighth hole. Surprise, surprise, because you look at his numbers, you're like, how is Thomas struggling as the number eight hitter? The, the spot in the lineup he bats the most is the number eight hole, and that's the spot in the lineup he struggles the most. He has a 222 average and a 556 OPS batting eighth. Would you have believed that if I told you that? Because you've watched Alec Thomas this year. You're like, Alec Thomas has been a beast every time I've watched him. Every time I looked at the box score, he gets one to three hits. Every time I look up at a game, he's scoring a run. Alec Thomas is always doing something at the plate on the base pass. But when he's batting eighth, those numbers come down a little bit. Because when he's batting seventh or ninth, his OPS is above 1,200. So what I want to do for Alec Thomas is take him out the eighth hole since he struggles in that position. And... Move him up in the lineup. Let's get him to number one, number two. Probably one or two is where I would put Alec Thomas. He seems like a guy that should be a table setter for the rest of this lineup because him with Dalton Varsho is your one-two. Like If you had Alec Thomas as your one, just getting the bloop singles, beating uh, uh, infield hits for uh, singles as well. I guess I'm just talking singles. But with his speed, his legs, he can beat out infield hits. He can go from first to second on a single down the right sideline. Like There's so many more things you could do on the base pass with Alec Thomas, and you could get real aggressive. They have Dalton Varsho batting second, who also brings a speed and athleticism component with a little power as well. And now you could have 
two guys on the bases to set up Ketel Marte as maybe your number three hitter with uh, with Christian Walker as your number four hitter. Maybe put Marte at number two with Varsho at number three. Just so many things you could do, but I think you have to move Alec Thomas to the top of the lineup because I think you'll just get more run scored overall if you have all your best players jump, you know, bunched up together. I don't think Alec Thomas batting number eight and then having like Jose Herrera come in after him is really doing much for this lineup. Like Alec Thomas is usually sandwiched between like Perdomo and Herrera. And I like Perdomo, but... He doesn't give you much from a hitting, you know, perspective. He's great at taking pitches and getting on base, but from a hitting perspective, he doesn't do much. And then you have someone like Herrera or someone worse or a comparable behind him. So Alec Thomas is always in a situation where he's not in advantageous RBI or run scoring opportunities. So I would love to move him to the top of the lineup to really set up this team offensively. So I don't know why we don't do that for a guy batting over 300 with over a 900 OPS. My second question and thing that I'm keeping my eye on is who catches this weekend? Now, that seems like a pretty obvious question. You're going to say probably Dalton Varsho. And I would also agree Dalton Varsho is probably going to catch two of the three games. And when I say weekend, I'm also counting Friday's game. Let me just throw that out there. So Dalton Varsho will probably catch two of the three games, but you got to give him a break. He's going to take a break at least one of the games over the next three days because he's been catching a lot of games recently. And Jose Herrera, who we've talked about a couple times on this podcast, just got placed on the 10-day injured list. So what did the D-backs do? They called up backup catcher Grayson Griner, who I think they signed to a minor league deal this offseason. And so far at Reno, I mean, he's balled out in 10 games. 351 average, 429 OBP, 514 slugging. So can that translate to the major league level? I'm going to say hell no, because... Um, players coming up from Reno usually have pretty great offensive numbers, and then it just usually doesn't translate to the major league level. But still, only 29 years old, hasn't done much of anything in his career. He spent four seasons with Detroit. Uh, you could look at the numbers. There's not really much to look at. Uh, not really much to look at. Varsha will probably start at catcher in two of the three games, which will be my prediction. But for Griner, if he ends up starting two of the three games because they want to put Varsho in center field and just give his legs a rest behind the plate. I think Reiner, what I want from him, is just competency. Like, I don't need him to come up and continue that offensive slash line that he's produced in Reno. Like, just give me a competent catcher. Just be a guy who doesn't strike out with the bases loaded and no outs. Don't be a guy that allows four pass balls in a game. Don't be the guy who, when someone tries to steal second, you throw it into the outfield. Just play clean baseball like Herrera. I know Herrera didn't do much offensively, but defensively, he was solid. He was stable. So that's all I'm asking for. I'm not setting the bar high for you, Grayson. I just hope you can clear it. Now, the next thing, the final thing in this segment that I'm keeping my eye on for, how big of a headache will the bullpen give me? Now, if it's anything like Thursday, then the answer is no headache because they pitched a perfect game on Thursday. But you just know this D-backs bullpen is going to give you at least one headache, pop an Advil, give you at least one migraine, pop another ibuprofen. All of a sudden, I'm three pills in and the D-backs are on their fifth reliever staring at a four-run deficit because admittedly, there aren't a lot of great choices in this bullpen. Like we've talked about it after Joe Mantiply, like if Mantiply can't go four innings out the bullpen every day, like I don't know where you get the innings from because if you had to power rank the relievers in terms of trust after Mantiply, would you say Nora Ramirez one, Ian Kennedy two, Mark Melanson three? Maybe put Sean Poppin in that mix? Like, I don't know. And I don't really trust any of those guys, even though they're my top three in my power rankings after Joe Mantiply with no Kyle Nelson, might I add. 
It's still not that great. Like, Noah Ramirez, I think he's better than what his ERA suggested. I think Ian Kennedy has pitched worse than what his ERA has suggested. And then Mark Melanson, he's probably pitched to what his ERA currently looks like, which is north of seven. So the bullpen is, of course, still a lot of question marks. And I would love for the D-backs to just move away from Mark Melanson as their closer because I would love to see probably Joe Mantiply as their closer just because he's been so good this season. Like, the man has literally allowed... Just one earned run. Literally one earned run. Why is that man not the closer? I don't know. But as long as Mark Melanson and Ian Kennedy seem to be the first two guys off the bench for the ninth inning, I'm always going to start sweating and getting the shakes and chills whenever those guys come into the game in a high leverage moment. So hopefully I don't have to pop the ibuprofen. I could keep it in my medicine cabinet because the D-backs bullpen loves to create headaches and Thankfully, they didn't do it Thursday, but I would not be surprised if they did it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, one of those games, or all three of them. Now, if you want to bet on the bullpen struggling this weekend, you need to head to BetOnline because our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. And thank you for making Locked On Dimebacks your first listen every day for your next listen. Check out the Locked On Now podcast. Recaps of MLB games with analysis from our local experts. Taking fans for the season like no other network. Free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, all right, all right. Let's wrap up the pod. I have two more things I want to talk about with you guys that I'm watching for. Trends, storylines, narratives. I'm watching for for the D-backs against the Chicago Cubs this weekend. The first one is, can we get some length out of our rotation? We saw Thursday, Zach Allen was only able to go five innings. And I think in the last two series, the Dodgers in the previous series against the Chicago Cubs, Zach Allen is the only starter with at least six innings pitch under his belt in over the last 10 starts. So over the last 10 starts, Zach Allen is the only guy who's gotten at least six innings pitch. I think the last time, uh, I think the last time we've had another non-gallon starter go at least six innings pitch was like that second game against the Miami Marlins where Madison Bumgarner goes like six and one third. Like the D-backs have not been getting long starts out of their starters recently. And that was the strength of this team for a lot of the season, their rotation. Now the rotation has started to come back to earth a little bit over the last week and a half. Merrill Kelly and Zach Davies, those are two players who we know tend to struggle early and then settle down. The only question is, how big are those struggles early? Because they struggle early, then those are the kind of guys that might only go three or four innings and tend to give you the shorter starts just because when they do struggle, it tends to be in the early parts of the game. Like Merrill Kelly, for some reason, the first inning has been really bad for him. And against the Dodgers, you saw that, and most of the time, Merrill Kelly is able to get through that first inning and usually cruises the rest of the game, but against the Dodgers, they were able to get to him in that first inning a little bit, and then he was only able to go so long in that game. Zach Davies, too, is the guy who usually seems to struggle in that second and third inning of the game, but someone like Zach Gallon, Madison Bumgarner, feel more likely to give up damage their second and third time through the rotation, but no matter 
what the processes are for these pitchers. All the results lead to the same conclusion with this staff, and at least recently, which is short start. So it doesn't matter if Gallon and Bumgarner are worse in their second, third time through their rotation. It doesn't matter if Davies and Kelly's, if Davies and Merrill Kelly are worse in the early parts of the game. All four of those pitchers have struggled to at least reach the sixth inning mark of these starts. And the D-backs really need it because, as I mentioned, the strength of this team so far this season has been the rotation. And they need it to continue to be the strength. And when you just look ahead to the next couple games for the D-backs, their Friday and Saturday game, Humberto Castellanos and Madison Bumgarner are pitching the next two games. And those aren't the two likeliest guys to go six innings. I might feel more likely that Humberto Castellanos goes six innings than Madison Bumgarner. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe I should feel more. Uh, maybe I should have more trust in our $20 million pitcher to at least go six innings. But with the bullpen still in shambles, I know they had a great Thursday. I know they had a great Thursday. And that's not something I want to, you know, bet on. But we need this rotation to give us that length again so we don't have to send out four to five relievers to hopefully get us to the end of the game and win it like the D-backs haven't been given their team a lot of run support so the D-backs need these starting pitchers to go seven innings so you only have to deal with maybe two maybe three relievers in a ball game and I think a big issue for the starting rotation recently has been given, has been giving up the long ball and doubles. It feels like they've given up a lot of hard contact over the last 10 days. So they need to go sit in a room somewhere, maybe do a little staycation with Brent Strom and just watch film, just break down film, do whatever you need to do because Brent Strom, uh, he's a genius. He's a genius when it comes to starting pitching. So hopefully Brent Strom can put these starters back on track because we need a little bit more length than what these starters have been giving us recently, considering how bad the bullpen has been this season and the fact that the D-backs haven't been getting a lot of run support since the Miami Marlins series either, which leads me to my next narrative that I'm keeping my eye on. Also, my final narrative of Josh Rojas, David Peralta, and Paven Smith who is going to get going at the plate this weekend? Rojas and Peralta were good at the plate in the first game, but not Paven Smith. Paven has been struggling a lot over the last two weeks. He is seven for his last 47. That is a 148 average. He just looks unsure of himself at the plate. The confidence just seems to be waning a little bit with Paven Smith right now. He's doing a lot of those half swings on his strikeouts. Just doesn't seem like he trusts his mechanics right now at the plate and you also can't trust um, Paven Smith with runners in scoring position this season. A 501 OPS on the season for Paven for runners in scoring position. But his hard contact numbers are pretty good this season. Like his hard contact numbers are better than David Peralta's and Josh Rojas's this season. His BABIP, which is batting average on balls in play, is over 300. So a lot of his numbers suggest that Paven Smith has run to bad luck this season. So maybe it will improve. This weekend, because the D-backs desperately need more offense, Josh Rojas has done a great job of walking more and striking out less this season, but his biggest issue has been the off-speed pitch, a 273 average against the off-speed pitch last season, but this year, Josh Rojas is 0 for 31 on the off-speed pitch. Defensively, he looks great. Josh Rojas was making great defensive plays at third base Thursday, like him, Perdomo, and Nick Ahmed is seriously an elite left side of your infield defensively. He's also been great at the plate when it comes to patience. Like he has a pretty high OBP considering 
Um, he hasn't played a ton of games this season, and he just probably isn't in a great rhythm. Maybe that's why his average hasn't caught up yet this season. But he's been very patient at the plate. He's seen a lot of pitches like a lot of these D-backs guys. He's not just swinging at random stuff out the strike zone. He's not really chasing a lot of pitches. So I love the approach Josh Rojas has had at the plate this year. But I want to see him drive the ball more. Maybe he needs to be more aggressive at the plate. I want to see him get his first home run of the year this weekend. That's my ultimate goal for Josh Rojas this weekend. I want to see him hit his first home run of the year this weekend. And then let's talk about David Peralta because he's kind of been the same guy all season. A 202 average and a 679 OPS on the year just doesn't cut it for David Peralta, who I think has looked better than what that traditional stat line shows, but the numbers are the numbers at the end of the day. His hard contact numbers, his walk rate, his strikeout rate are pretty much all aligned with his career, but his 213 batting average on balls in play is by far the worst of his career. He's just not hitting it to where the defense ain't, like where they say them atom balls when you hit those line drives right at them. Um, David Peralta has done a lot of that this year, and he's also another guy who has crushed off-speed pitches in the past, but he's struggling big time against the off-speed pitch this season. And the real biggest issue, the biggest thing that sticks out from David Peralta when you look at his numbers this season is he's hitting way more fly balls than he used to. His career launch angle is 6.5 degrees. This season is 20.7 degrees. His career Fly ball percentage is like 28.5%. It's almost 50%. It's at 49.5% right now. The advanced numbers might suggest that Paven Smith is the best guy to bet on if you want to bet on one of these three to have the biggest turnaround. But the eye test, I think, would tell me either Josh Rojas or David Peralta. And I would probably lean Josh Rojas because he's younger, he's got a sweet swing, he's got a great approach, and he never seems to get rattled at the plate. I hope David Peralta can turn it around because a lot of his numbers, like I said, are right along with his career average. He just has to get that fly ball percent it down and just fix your launch angle my guy like you are sweet you you basically are swinging like a skyscraper according to the launch angle so fix that and then for Paven Smith like maybe just work on your confidence like I don't know like you batted number two in the lineup on Thursday because Tori Lovello trusts you and the advanced numbers suggest maybe you just run into bad luck this season and the numbers should improve but if I had to bet on one of these three guys to have a breakout this weekend I think it would be Josh Rojas who seems to have the most confidence the best approach and he already had a great game Thursday, going one for three, going one for three, run scored, RBI. So I'm picking Josh Rojas out of these three to have the breakout this weekend. Now, that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned into today's pod. Thank you to everyone who tuned into pods all week long. Go back and catch up on any pods you might have missed this week. As always, come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces!